everyone. Merry Christmas. I want to thank you all for coming out. I know that a lot of people are probably under the weather, and uh, we've got a really nice crowd here. Thankfully, everyone here as well. <clears throat> I don't really have any announcements, but I just wanted to read a little bit of the end of the passage that Pastor Mike preached to us this morning from the book of Micah. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So let us quiet our hearts and meditate on the peace that the Incarnation brings. And if you would, open your hymnals to number 194. We're going to sing all, four, all five verses. Let's rise together and sing. Go ahead and stand up. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appear Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel Shall come to thee, O Come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, 
and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou key of David, Come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen. Let's be seated. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will when I was a young boy, there was a point in my life, probably seven, eight years old, when I was wondering whether Jesus was sort of like Santa Claus, uh, a make-believe character, a nice character, a, a warm, fuzzy character, but not real. And um, I struggled with that, and, and uh, I ended up believing that Jesus was real, not knowing at the time all of the historical, verified truths in the Bible and um, that would help to confirm that belief as a young age that Jesus was a real person that came to earth. Uh, I knew he was for us more than that. And as I grew older and I got to know a little 
that it was not only, of course, not only a real person and uh, God here among us, but he's a person who continually creates She says, how can this be? Uh, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even your, uh, uh, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And the angel Gabriel says this. And this is not the only place that says this in the Bible. It says, for nothing is impossible with God. Um, Mary responds and says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. For a call to worship, we see Isaiah 9, 6. And this is just not a platitude, not a good feeling. This is a real, this is a prophecy about a real child that was really born. government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we do not have the words to thank you for your son. We do not have the words to thank you for your love for us. But Lord, we pray that you will indwell us with a spirit of truth, a spirit of honesty, Spirit that will um, live life uh, acknowledging your presence, your creation of this world and our place in it. Guide us, Lord. Open our hearts to you to be willing uh, servants of yours uh, and obedient and, and kind and loving to our, to our fellow men and brothers to fellow brothers and sisters to our fellow be believers in Christ. Lord God, we pray for the service. We pray for those involved in it. In Jesus' name.
time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And, she was, and, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, meaning uh, it was by chance to take the short straw, so to, so to speak. According to the custom of, of, of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn in incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Keep in mind, nobody would be in there ever uh, except the, the, the priest The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of, of the people of is, Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to, to, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will, com which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and in these days he has shown his, his favor and taken away my, my disgrace. And if you all will please open your hymnal to number 218. Um, if you can read music and you can sing your part, do that. We're going to be doing that up here. <clears throat> well, that's fine. Uh, Mary? Can you play for us? <laughs> Sorry. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the risen King. Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with man is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, Come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Sages, leave your contemplations, brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations, ye have seen his natal star. Come and worship, come and worship, Worship Christ, the newborn King. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his 
temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. All creation join in praising God the Father, Spirit, Son. Evermore your voice is raising to the eternal three in one. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Amen. Let's be seated. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, 
divine. Oh, night, when Christ was born. And ever, ever 
life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold. When with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors cling, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. Bethlehem, one winter night, a child was born by candlelight, and he looked like any other child in his mother's arms. Nothing about him told that a mystery would soon unfold. To see him there, so small and sweet, with tiny hands and tender feet, what if you were told this child would hold the world within his hands? You wouldn't see the slightest trace of sorrow on his moonlit face, and it wouldn't seem, no, you'd never dream that the world was in his hands. The secrets of that Christmas day The very stars would soon betray When their light shone down on the sleepy towns of Palestine And shepherds would find the one The angels had said would come To see him there, so small and sweet with tiny hands and tender feet. What if you were told this child would hold the world within his hands? You wouldn't see the slightest trace of sorrow on his moonlit face. And it wouldn't seem, no, you'd never dream that the world was in his hands. 
Who could have known it? Was it written in the starlit sky? Who could have heard God's name with the strains of Mary's lullaby? To see him there, so small and sweet, with tiny hands and tender feet, what if you were told this child would hold the world within his hands? You wouldn't see the slightest trace of sorrow on his moonlit face, yet those te yet his tears would fall to heal the earth. His spoons would give us second birth, yet it wouldn't seem no, you'd never dream that the world was in his hands. Thank you to everyone for sharing your musical talents with us tonight. We are actually going to be looking at a song tonight uh, from the book of Luke. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 67 to 79. And I want to begin the sermon by having a brief discussion of grief. Sounds really Christmassy, right? Let's talk about grief. Well, grief is not something that we usually associate with the merriness of Christmas, but we probably should. The joy of Christmas can ring hollow or even sting like a deep wound for some people during Christmas. There are those who have lost a child, those who have lost a spouse, those who have lost parents, those who have broken relationships unfulfilled dreams, and for these people, there's a, there's a sense of dread during Christmas because the celebration of that time magnifies the thing that you feel a loss of. Now, for you optimists out there, Lee's not here. I was going to pick on her, but she's sick tonight. She's the ultimate optimist. I'm not trying to, uh, to bum out your Christmas I'm not trying to be Scrooge here, but I just want to remind you that even Scrooge was a Christmas story about a man in transition from deep grief to great joy. And in the book of Luke, we find the same type of Christmas story. In Luke chapter 1, we find a man who is in transition from grief to joy, and Dan read about that man. His name is Zechariah. I'd like for us to just for a moment try to put ourselves in Zechariah's place. Imagine that you are a member of a formerly glorious nation, a nation that used to fear God, a nation who was chosen specifically by God to be a, a special people who were like a lighthouse that shined out into the dark world and said, Come in, come into the peace of the kingdom of God. 
But in your days, those, those glory times, they are, they're in the past. You are old. You don't have a child. Your wife is barren. And especially in, in the ancient world, being without an heir was a very difficult thing to deal with. It was a deep source of grief. But you're a priest, and you're chosen by lot. It's your turn to go in and, and have the privilege of entering the holy place and offering up incense before God on behalf of God's people. But even that occasion that should be joyous, something that should bring excitement to you, it just feels kind of empty. And as you're, you're serving in the temple, you're kind of going through the motions, this supernatural being appears before you. And what does he have to say? What do angels always have to say to everybody? What's the first thing they say? Don't be scared, yeah. So if you saw an angel, that's the first thing you would do would be, would be scared. I think Dan's version said, where is Dan? He's over here now. I think Dan's version said he was like trembling with, with terror or something like that. Is that the NIV? Yeah. I like that. <clears throat> so you kind of, Zechariah kind of musters up the, the courage to actually listen to what this angel is going to say to him. And the angel says things that he is not expecting. Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. You are going to actually have a son. You were going to name that son John, and John means God is gracious. You are not feeling God is gracious at this moment. The angel tells you, you are actually going to be full of joy and gladness, and your son is going to go before the Messiah as a prophet in the spirit and the power of one of those glory day prophets, Elijah, and he's going to prepare God's people for the coming of this great king. As you hear these words of God from this supernatural, glorious being whose presence you're trembling in, you are so full of doubt, grief, disappointment. It's like a cloud hovering around you. That your response to this glorious experience is, yeah, right. So the angel, the angel is, is not phased one bit by Zechariah's doubt. He says, okay, Zechariah, since you don't believe, you are not going to speak again until you see this happen and you are so full of joy that it is going to come out like a song and everyone for all times is going to read it as a testimony in Burke County in 2023. This is Zechariah's transition story. And if you're, if you're tempted a little bit to look at Zechariah and say, man, that guy is a, is a weak believer. He should have had more faith than that. Listen to what Dan read this, but listen to this again from Luke chapter 1, verse 6. This is how God saw Zechariah before he expressed all this doubt. Luke says, and they, speaking of Elizabeth and Zechariah, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. So Zechariah, he was a broken man. 
He was a, joy, a joyless man. He was doubting. He was full of grief. But God still looked in his heart and said, He is still faithful. So let's take a look at the joy that God produces out of this, I almost called this sermon Scrooge in Transition. But Zechariah, the Scrooge in Transition. Luke chapter 1. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, if you look in your bulletins at the end, you'll see my sermon outline so you can try to follow my train of thought here. The first point is the incarnation brings unexpected victory. A good way to understand the source of Zechariah's joy as he burst out in song here is to understand the sources of disappointment that were causing him grief. Zechariah was experiencing the disappointment of unfulfilled promises, particularly the promise to David. God had promised David that he was going to make him a house. Now, by house, he doesn't mean a structure. He means a dynasty or a lineage. And the core of the Davidic promise is basically that David was going to have an heir who would sit on the throne and rule over God's people and protect them, and they would live in peace forever. In Zechariah's day, it had been a thousand years since that promise. We can't even think of what a thousand years is like. Israel had been displaced in Babylon. Mike preached this morning about how the Assyrians came in and wiped out the ten northern tribes. The glorious temple that Solomon built had been destroyed. It was gone forever. And in Zechariah's time, they were in the physical promised land but they were being ruled over by a pagan emperor. But now Zechariah, after witnessing God's faithfulness to give him a son, realizes that his disappointment really didn't have any merit. He was wrong about God's lack of concern for him. God was being faithful to work out his promises, but he was working them out according to God's plan, 
not according to Zechariah's plan. See, that's where Zechariah's realizing that was the source of my grief, not that God wasn't being faithful. It was that I was expecting God to work out the promises the way I expected them to be worked out. And as Zechariah watches John grow in the womb of Elizabeth, he's starting to see that these promises are going to be fulfilled in a way that he didn't expect. In verse 69, he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Jesus is like a horn that saves us. Uh, hunting season has passed, right? Is that correct, hunters? Yeah. So did it go into December at all? Yeah, okay, see how much I know. Uh, <clears throat> Carla's uncle Jeff, he's a big hunter. And so he's actually hunting now, you know, in our, we call it, the, I guess, the Baker compound where we all live. <clears throat> and so he had, he had come out of the woods sometime in November, I guess, whenever, whenever hunter, hunting season was still going on. And, uh, and he told me, he said, he said, I had had my eyes on this eight-point buck that I've been watching like all fall. And I really wanted to, let's just say in, in the polite way, I wanted to acquire him. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but Jeff says, I saw him this morning and I was totally disappointed because that eight-point buck had become a four-point buck. Does anybody know how that happened? He broke an antler, yeah. And, and Jeff jokingly said this, he said, he said that buck probably won two prizes because the buck was fighting, what purpose do you think the buck was fighting for? He wanted a doe, yeah. So Jeff said he probably won the doe by breaking that horn and he won his life because Jeff no longer had any use for that, that broken deer. And of course, what do you think I thought? Sermon illustration, right? <laughs> yeah. In the incarnation, a strong horn is formed. And see, strength is what Israel expected. Strength is what Zechariah expected. Strength to crush enemies. But like the buck that Jeff wanted, Jesus the horn gains victory by being broken. And that is not what Israel expected. When we think of a great horn of power, we picture the strength to crush your enemies. And does Christ have that power? Of course he does, yeah. But here in this, in this song, he's not described as a, as a horn of strength. He's described as a horn of salvation. And Zechariah's emphasis in this song is not the crushing of enemies, but the salvation from enemies. And I believe the reason this is the emphasis is because Jesus as the horn does not just crush his enemies, but he also was crushed for you, his former enemy. And he made you his ally through being broken. And that is one way he achieves victory. And this is our victory. The horn of salvation who overcomes the crushing blow of God's wrath. Why? Because you could not stand back up if you received that blow. So Jesus took it for you. So victory is gained in an unexpected way. 
And Zechariah's joy increases as he has this beautiful nine months to be silent and contemplate this. Anybody know why it's nine months? Howard, you know. (laughs) But lack of victory is only part of our disappointment. Victory is not everything. We also need to have purpose after victory. You know, soldiers sometimes they have a difficult time adjusting back to society because they think the war is purpose. But we as Christians need something to look forward to after the battle is over. And that brings us to our second point. The incarnation brings purpose. Beginning in verse 72, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In Genesis 22, after the great trial that Abraham went through on Mount Moriah, where he was supposed to sacrifice his son, God makes an oath to him at the end of that experience. In Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The Old Testament people of God, they had a lot of enemies throughout their history. They had Egypt, They had Canaan, they had Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and in Zechariah's time, who was the enemy? Thought I heard it. Rome, okay. Let's make sure everybody's awake. Much of Israel's energy was spent on battling and being defeated by enemies, and this hinders their purpose in serving and worshiping God. It really reminds me, I think Mike said in Nehemiah that uh, Charles Spurgeon's newsletter, is that right? The newsletter journal that Charles Spurgeon wrote, it's called The Sword and the Trowel. And the reason it's called that is because in Nehemiah, they were building the wall with one hand and they were battling with the sword with the other hand. It's kind of hard to worship that way, isn't it? (laughs) Well, we kind of see this desire for God to free his people from enemies so they can worship, mostly in the Exodus. And the Exodus, of course, is just an expansion of the Abrahamic covenant. In Exodus 2, Moses writes this, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So because God swore an oath to Abraham... God heard the cries of Abraham's descendants, and he delivered them from their enemy, Pharaoh. But Moses tells us that God had a specific purpose in freeing Israel. Israel was not free so that they could be a free agent. At least seven times God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go out into the wilderness and they can offer up sacrifices to me so they can worship me so they can serve me. I think in our day in America, have a hard time feeling 
the anticipation of joy of this promise, of being made free to worship God. Because we have so many freedoms, right? We don't have to hide in secret and try to worship. The Israelites had to work as slaves in harsh conditions. They had taskmasters watching them all the time. They had an empire and, and pharaohs who hated them and hated their God. I can't imagine how exhausting it might have been for them to try to get together and do any type of corporate worship, even if they were able to at all. In our situation, in our time in history, we don't experience the same type of physical conflicts keeping us from worship that the Israelites did. But that doesn't keep us from having internal, spiritual conflicts that hinder us from having freedom in our worship. We need to be delivered from the pharaohs of our flesh. Idolatry, laziness, moralism, people-pleasing. Am I hitting anybody yet? (laughs) This list could go on and on. We, as God's people, cannot feel the full enjoyment of our ultimate purpose to worship God because we still have a desire to worship ourselves and we still are battling to serve our sin. But one day, and you should feel this anticipation, one day you will feel the fullness of the joy of serving God in peace with full satisfaction. And the reason that you can feel that is because the incarnation created a bridge between you and God. And that brings us to our third point. The incarnation brings peace. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet unto the way of peace. Up until now, Zechariah has said things that make it sound as though he was expecting in his time an earthly or even political fulfillment of victory over their enemies in the present world. Maybe he would have thought it was God's victory over Rome. But I believe Zechariah here is showing us at the end of the song that we cannot feel victorious, we cannot feel a sense of purpose without knowing real peace with God. And that kind of peace is not accomplished by a king or a leader who establishes a geopolitical kingdom in this creation. It's only accomplished by the Messiah who can separate you from your sin, who can forgive your sin, and who can, I love the language that Zechariah uses here, who can basically make the valley of the shadow of death a valley of sunshine. But if you're like me, 
I'm guessing that you probably struggle to let the king accomplish his goals for you in his ways, in his time. How many of you lean on or pursue strategies to control your life? What efforts are you making to be successful, to find purpose, to find fulfillment, to find joy, to eradicate grief from your life? I'm not saying it's bad things. How many of you remember 2015 at a conference with a really great preacher, teacher? Erica's not here, is she? <laughs> Looking for her. Uh, Joel Beakey at a parenting conference. And it was a great time. We learned a lot of great lessons and wisdom about how to raise our kids. So, show of hands, how many parents were here for that? Okay, okay. So, how many of you who were here at the parenting conference have experienced the full realization of all your expectations of parenting. I would dare say even those who have adult children out of the house don't, don't feel that. Now, please do not think I'm criticizing conferences or books. I actually had the idea to have a marriage conference this past year. Uh, I, am, I am in uh, full agreement with finding strategies to help you better your Christian life, uh, ways to, to make your family life and, and your parenting life better. And I, I encourage you to read everything you can get from Joel Beakey. The point I'm trying to make is that your attempts to establish the ideal, your ideal victory over your family life, your marriage life, your career life, to find purpose according to your expectations. It's not how God is going to fulfill his promises in your life. And I believe this is why our Christian experience becomes disoriented and why we can accumulate grief in our life because we don't see the promises being fulfilled according to our plans the way that we feel like our lives should pan out. Because God often chooses a path that seems broken, and we look at it and we say, Why, God, that seems so unnecessary. But a path that when we reach the end of it, we can have a vantage point and look back, and we recognize the reason that we went down that broken path. The reason that God ordained that path that we felt was unnecessary because he wanted us to see at the end that our efforts deserved no credit. It was all his efforts. And he wants to make that clear to you. Isn't that Zechariah's experience? Do you think Zechariah looked back over time and thought, wow, I contributed to the forerunner of the Messiah. No, he was saying God did every bit of that. I wasn't expecting it. I wanted this to happen, but God made it happen in a better way, in a way that humbled me. 
And here at the end of Zechariah's song, he's making it clear that our human efforts are not the things that produce victory and purpose. The only thing that we have to contribute to the promises is a corruption that the Messiah had to humble himself and become a man to eradicate. And that is why Christ came. He came to make peace between a corrupt, depraved humanity and an infinitely glorious God. And I don't understand all of the aspects of the incarnation, but it is a beautiful mystery. In closing, I want to ask the question, what is the purpose of this song? Kind of going along in the story, the good historical facts, and then Luke throws a song by Mary in there, then he throws a song by Zechariah in there. Well, I believe it's because Luke doesn't just want to engage with your mind with historical and theological facts. He wants to reach in and engage your heart. He wants the weak person to say, I need to worship God. I need to praise God even in the midst of my sorrow because God is faithful and the mysterious beauty of the incarnation is worthy of praise and it is my only hope when I am faced with grief. So let's go back real quick to the concept of anticipation. That is what I named this sermon after all. The anticipation of the incarnation. What have you guys been anticipating during the Christmas season? The stress of busyness? That's me. The anxiety of financial woes? The pain of broken relationships? The guilt of a heart that feels cold towards the promises of God? Well, my hope is that as you look at this song, as you examine the life of Zechariah and how he went from deep grief to great joy, that at least a little spark of hope and joy can be kindled in your heart. And I hope that you remember how God viewed Zechariah, even when he was experiencing sorrow and doubt. God saw him as righteous. Why was he able to see him as righteous? Because of the incarnation. Because he saw him in Christ. And for you who are full of joy this Christmas season, the grief-stricken people, the melancholy people, whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not, they actually need you. Your joy, your hope... It's like medicine for them. But I'm going to give you just just a little bit of some encouragement here, maybe some instruction on how to consider how to encourage a grief-stricken person. And it's in four words. Come down to them. 
I'm not saying become bummed out. I'm saying be like Jesus. This is part of what the incarnation did. Jesus came down to us. Where was Jesus before the incarnation? Did he have any grief? Did he have any sorrow? Did he have any troubles? He was in a realm where he had experienced nothing but peace and joy and fulfillment for all of eternity past. But he didn't stay in heaven. He didn't stand on the cloud and just shout down to Peter, Peter, peace, goodwill towards men, feel good. He came down. He entered our world. He felt our suffering. He sympathized with our weaknesses. But the strength of Jesus is that that our weaknesses and our suffering and empathizing with us did not overcome him because he knew that in the cross he was going to overcome all of our sorrows. And I would just encourage you, joyful, optimistic, happy people, I know that, you know, you can't do this like that, but just pray that God would help you as you figure out how to come down to somebody who is, who is grief-stricken and encourage them. Okay. In John 15, 9 through 11, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I think we see in this short statement how the incarnation should bring joyful anticipation no matter your circumstances. What was going to happen to Jesus a week after he said, my joy be with you? He spoke this a week before he was betrayed, he was scourged, he was spit upon, he was nailed to a cross, and the most horrifying thing was he felt the full wrath of God upon him for you. Do you think Jesus was joyful and happy about those things? No. He was full of joy because he knew in spite of his situation, in spite of his circumstances, that through all that suffering, he was going to save you. That was his source of joy. And as you abide in Christ, remember, that means you are united to him through the Holy Spirit. And nobody can break the bond that you have with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And if you are in Christ through the Holy Spirit, that means that you, part of you, is seated in a realm with Christ right now. A realm where there is nothing but fullness of peace and joy and purpose. And that should be a comforting thought. Amen. If somebody would uh, get the lights, and I think we've got people who are going to light candles. And what number are we singing? 210.
like to begin it with Daniel. Hallelujah to 
blessing comes from the prophet Zephaniah, which is a prophecy that's full of judgment, but a lot of the Old Testament prophets that are full of dark judgment have some of the most beautiful promises in them. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. May the God of peace cause you to enter into that loud, joy-filled song with your Savior. And may the Spirit of God produce comfort in the grief of your heart, reminding you that the incarnation brings salvation. Amen.